Section 22 of Tom Jones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rachel Linton, Bristol, UK. Tom Jones by Henry Fielding. Book 6, containing about three weeks. Chapter 11. A short chapter but which contains sufficient matter to affect the good-natured reader. It was Mr. Allworthy's custom never to punish anyone, not even to turn away a servant in a passion. He resolved, therefore, to delay passing sentence on Jones till the afternoon. The poor young man attended at dinner as usual, but his heart was too much loaded to suffer him to eat. His grief, too, was a good deal aggravated by the unkind looks of Mr. Allworthy, whence he concluded that Weston had discovered the whole affair between him and Sophia. But as to Mr. Bliffle's story, he had not the least apprehension, for of much the greater part he was entirely innocent, and for the residue, as he had forgiven and forgotten it himself, so he suspected no remembrance on the other side. When dinner was over and the servants departed, Mr. Allworthy began to harangue. He set forth in a long speech the many iniquities of which Jones had been guilty, particularly those which this day had brought to light, and concluded by telling him that unless he could clear himself of the charge, he was resolved to banish him his sight for ever. Many disadvantages attended poor Jones in making his defence, nay, indeed, he hardly knew his accusation, for as Mr. Allworthy, in recounting the drunkenness, etc., while he lay ill, out of modesty sunk everything that related particularly to himself, which, indeed, principally constituted the crime, Jones could not deny the charge. His heart was, besides, almost broken already, and his spirits were so sunk that he could say nothing for himself, but acknowledged the whole, and, like a criminal in despair, threw himself upon mercy, concluding that, though he must own himself guilty of many follies and inadvertencies, he hoped he had done nothing to deserve what would be to him the greatest punishment in the world. Allworthy answered that he had forgiven him too often already in compassion to his youth and in hopes of his amendment, that he now found he was an abandoned reprobate and such as it would be criminal in any one to support and encourage. Nay, said Mr. Allworthy to him, your audacious attempt to steal away the young lady calls upon me to justify my own character in punishing you. The world who have already censured the regard I have shown for you may think, with some colour at least of justice, that I connive at so base and barbarous an action, an action of which you must have known my abhorrence, and which, had you had any concern for my ease and honour as well as for my friendship, you would never have thought of undertaking. Fie upon it, young man! Indeed, there is scarce any punishment equal to your crimes, and I can scarce think myself justifiable in what I am now going to bestow on you. However, as I have educated you like a child of my own, I will not turn you naked into the world. When you open this paper, therefore, you will find something which may enable you with industry to get an honest livelihood. 
but if you employ it to worse purposes, I shall not think myself obliged to supply you farther, being resolved from this day forward to converse no more with you on any account. I cannot avoid saying there is no part of your conduct which I resent more than your ill-treatment of that good young man, meaning Blifil, who hath behaved with so much tenderness and honour towards you. These last words were a dose almost too bitter to be swallowed. A flood of tears now gushed from the eyes of Jones, and every faculty of speech and motion seemed to have deserted him. It was some time before he was able to obey Allworthy's peremptory commands of departing, which he at length did, having first kissed his hands with a passion difficult to be affected, and as difficult to be described. The reader must be very weak, if, when he considers the light in which Jones then appeared to Mr. Allworthy, he should blame the rigour of his sentence, and yet all the neighbourhood, either from this weakness or from some worse motive, condemned his justice and severity as the highest cruelty. Nay, the very persons who had before censured the good man for the kindness and tenderness shown to a bastard his own, according to the general opinion, now cried out as loudly against turning his own child out of doors. The women, especially, were unanimous in taking the part of Jones, and raised more stories on the occasion than I have room in this chapter to set down. One thing must not be omitted, that in their censures on this occasion none ever mentioned the sum contained in the paper which Allworthy gave Jones, which was no less than five hundred pounds. But all agreed that he was sent away, penniless, and some said naked, from the house of his inhuman father. Chapter 12 Containing Love Letters, etc. Jones was commanded to leave the house immediately, and told that his clothes and everything else should be sent to him whithersoever he should order them. He accordingly set out and walked above a mile, not regarding and indeed scarce knowing whither he went. At length a little brook obstructing his passage, he threw himself down by the side of it, nor could he help muttering with some little indignation, Sure my father will not deny me this place to rest in. Here he presently fell into the most violent agonies, tearing his hair from his head, and using most other actions which generally accompany fits of madness, rage, and despair. When he had in this manner vented the first emotions of passion, he began to come a little to himself. His grief now took another turn, and discharged itself in a gentler way, till he became at last cool enough to reason with his passion, and to consider what steps were proper to be taken in his deplorable condition. And now the great doubt was how to act with regard to Sophia. The thoughts of leaving her almost rent his heart asunder, but the consideration of reducing her to ruin and beggary still racked him, if possible, more. And if the violent desire of possessing her person could have induced him to listen one moment to this alternative, 
still he was by no means certain of her resolution to indulge his wishes at so high an expense the resentment of mr allworthy and the injury he must do to his quiet argued strongly against this latter and lastly the apparent impossibility of his success even if he would sacrifice all these considerations to it came to his assistance and thus honour at last backed with despair with gratitude to his benefactor and with real love to his mistress got the better of burning desire and he resolved rather to quit sophia than pursue her to her ruin it is difficult for any who have not felt it to conceive the glowing warmth which filled his breast on the first contemplation of this victory over his passion pride flattered him so agreeably that his mind perhaps enjoyed perfect happiness but this was only momentary sophia soon returned to his imagination and allayed the joys of his triumph with no less bitter pangs than a good-natured general must feel when he surveys the bleeding heaps at the price of whose blood he hath purchased his laurels for thousands of tender ideas lay murdered before our conqueror being resolved however to pursue the paths of this giant honour as the gigantic poet lee calls it he determined to write a farewell letter to sophia and accordingly proceeded to a house not far off where being furnished with proper materials he wrote as follows madam when you reflect on the situation in which i write i am sure your good nature will pardon any inconsistency or absurdity which my letter contains for everything here flows from a heart so full that no language can express its dictates i have resolved madam to obey your commands in flying forever from your dear your lovely sight cruel indeed those commands are but it is a cruelty which proceeds from fortune not from my sophia fortune hath made it necessary necessary to your preservation to forget there ever was such a wretch as i am believe me i would not hint all my sufferings to you if i imagined they could possibly escape your ears I know the goodness and tenderness of your heart, and would avoid giving you any of those pains which you always feel for the miserable. Oh, let nothing which you shall hear of my hard fortune cause a moment's concern, for, after the loss of you, everything else is to me a trifle. Oh, Sophia, it is hard to leave you. It is harder still to desire you to forget me, yet the sincerest love obliges me to both. Pardon my conceiving that any remembrance of me can give you disquiet, but if I am so gloriously wretched, sacrifice me every way to your relief. Think I never loved you, or think truly how little I deserve you, and learn to scorn me for a presumption which can never be too severely punished i am unable to say more may guardian angels protect you for ever he was now searching his pockets for his wax 
but found none, nor indeed anything else therein, for in truth he had, in his frantic disposition, tossed everything from him, and amongst the rest his pocket-book, which he had received from Mr. Allworthy, which he had never opened, and which now first occurred to his memory. The house supplied him with a wafer for his present purpose, with which, having sealed his letter, he returned hastily towards the brookside, in order to search for the things which he had there lost. In his way he met his old friend, Black George, who heartily condoled with him on his misfortune, for this had already reached his ears, and indeed those of all the neighbourhood. Jones acquainted the gamekeeper with his loss, and he as readily went back with him to the brook, where they searched every tuft of grass in the meadow, as well where Jones had not been, as where he had been. But all to no purpose, for they found nothing, for indeed, though the things were then in the meadow, they omitted to search the only place where they were deposited, to wit, in the pockets of the said George, for he had just before found them, and being luckily apprised of their value, had very carefully put them up for his own use. The gamekeeper, having exerted as much diligence in quest of the lost goods as if he had hoped to find them, desired Mr. Jones to recollect if he had been in no other place. For sure, he said, if you'd lost them here so lately, the things must have been here still, for this is a very unlikely place for any one to pass by. And indeed it was by great accident that he himself had passed through that field in order to lay wires for hares, with which he was to supply a poulterer at Bath the next morning. Jones now gave over all hopes of recovering his loss, and almost all thoughts concerning it, and turning to Black George, asked him earnestly if he would do him the greatest favour in the world. George answered with some hesitation, Sir, you know you may command me whatever is in my power, and I heartily wish it was in my power to do you any service. In fact, the question staggered him, for he had, by selling game, amassed a pretty good sum of money in Mr. Weston's service, and was afraid that Jones wanted to borrow some small matter of him. But he was presently relieved from his anxiety by being desired to convey a letter to Sophia, which with great pleasure he promised to do and indeed I believe there are few favours which he would not have gladly conferred on Mr. Jones, for he bore as much gratitude towards him as he could, and was as honest as men who love money better than any other thing in the universe generally are. Mrs. Honour was agreed by both to be the proper means by which this letter should pass to Sophia. They then separated. The gamekeeper returned home to Mr. Western's, and Jones walked to an alehouse at half a mile's distance to wait for his messenger's return. 
George no sooner came home to his master's house than he met with Mrs. Honour, to whom, having first sounded her with a few previous questions, he delivered the letter for her mistress, and received at the same time another from her to Mr. Jones, which Honour told him she had carried all that day in her bosom, and began to despair of finding any means of delivering it. The gamekeeper returned hastily and joyfully to Jones, who, having received Sophia's letter from him, instantly withdrew, and eagerly breaking it open, read as follows. Sir, it is impossible to express what I have felt since I saw you. Your submitting on my account to such cruel insults from my father lays me under an obligation I shall ever own. As you know his temper, I beg you will, for my sake, avoid him. I wish I had any comfort to send you, but believe this, that nothing but the last violence shall ever give my hand or heart where you would be sorry to see them bestowed. Jones read this letter a hundred times over and kissed it a hundred times as often. His passion now brought all tender desires back into his mind. He repented that he had writ to Sophia in the manner we have seen above, but he repented more that he had made use of the interval of his messenger's absence to write and dispatch a letter to Mr. Allworthy, in which he had faithfully promised and bound himself to quit all thoughts of his love. However, when his cool reflections returned, he plainly perceived that his case was neither mended nor altered by Sophia's billet unless to give him some little glimpse of hope from her constancy of some favourable accident hereafter he therefore resumed his resolution and taking leave of black george set forward to a town about five miles distant whither he had desired mr allworthy unless he pleased to revoke his sentence to send his things after him chapter thirteen the behaviour of Sophia on the present occasion, which none of her sex will blame, who are capable of behaving in the same manner, and the discussion of a knotty point in the court of conscience. Sophia had passed the last twenty-four hours in no very desirable manner. During a large part of them she had been entertained by her aunt with lectures of prudence, recommending to her the example of the polite world, where love so the good lady said, is at present entirely laughed at, and where women consider matrimony, as men do offices of public trust, only as the means of making their fortunes, and of advancing themselves in the world. In commenting on which text, Mrs. Weston had displayed her eloquence during several hours. These sagacious lectures, though little suited either to the taste or inclination of Sophia, were, however, less irksome to her than her own thoughts that formed the entertainment of the night, during which she never once closed her eyes. But though she could neither sleep nor rest in her bed, yet having no avocation from it, she was found there by her father at his return from Allworthy's, which was not till past ten o'clock in the morning. He went directly up to her apartment, opened the door, and seeing she was not up, cried, Oh, you are safe then, and I am resolved to keep you so. He then locked the door, and delivered the key to Honour, 
having first given her the strictest charge with great promises of rewards for her fidelity and most dreadful menaces of punishment in case she should betray her trust honour's orders were not to suffer her mistress to come out of her room without the authority of the squire himself and to admit none to her but him and her aunt but she was herself to attend her with whatever sophia pleased except only pen ink and paper of which she was forbidden the use the squire ordered his daughter to dress herself and attend him at dinner which she obeyed and having sat the usual time was again conducted to her prison in the evening the jailer honour brought her the letter which she received from the gamekeeper sophia read it very attentively twice or thrice over and then threw herself upon the bed and burst into a flood of tears mrs honour expressed great astonishment at this behaviour in her mistress nor could she forbear very eagerly begging to know the cause of this passion sophia made her no answer for some time and then starting suddenly up caught her maid by the hand and cried oh honour i am undone marry forbid cries honour i wish the letter had been burnt before i had brought it to your ladyship i'm sure i thought it would have comforted your ladyship or i would have seen it at the devil before i would have touched it honour says sophia you are a good girl and it is vain to attempt concealing longer my weakness from you i have thrown away my heart on a man who hath forsaken me and is mr jones answered the maid such a perfidy man he hath taken his leave of me says sophia for ever in that letter nay he hath desired me to forget him could he have desired that if he had loved me could he have borne such a thought could he have written such a word no certainly ma'am cries honour and to be sure if the best man in england was to desire me to forget him i'd take him at his word marry come up i am sure your ladyship hath done him too much honour ever to think on him a young lady who may take her choice of all the young men in the country and to be sure if i may be so presumptuous as to offer my poor opinion there is young mr bliffil who besides that he has come of honest parents and will be one of the greatest squires all hereabouts he is to be sure in my poor opinion a more handsomer and a more politer man by half and besides he is a young gentleman of a sober character and who may defy any of the neighbours to say black is his eye he follows no dirty trollops nor can any bastards be laid at his door forget him indeed i thank heaven i myself am not so much at my last prayers as to suffer any man to bid me forget him twice if the best he that wears a head was for to go for to offer to say such an affronting word to me i would never give him my company afterwards if there was another young man in the kingdom and as i was a-saying to be sure there is young mr bliffil name not his detested name cries sophia nay ma'am says honour if your ladyship doth not like him there be more jolly handsome young men that would court your ladyship if they had but the least encouragement 
I don't believe there is our young gentleman in this county, or in the next to it, that if your ladyship was but to look as if you had a mind to him, would not come about to make his offers directly. What a wretch dost thou imagine me, cries Sophia, by affronting my ears with such stuff. I detest all mankind. Nay, to be sure, ma'am, answered Honour, your ladyship hath had enough to give you a surfeit of them. To be used ill by such a poor, beggarly, bastardly fellow. Hold your blasphemous tongue, cries Sophia. How dare you mention his name with disrespect before me? He used me ill? No, his poor bleeding heart suffered more when he writ cruel words than mine from reading them. Oh, he is all heroic virtue, an angelic goodness. I am ashamed of the weakness of my own passion for blaming what I ought to admire. Oh, honour, it is my good only that he consults. To my interest he sacrifices both himself and me. The apprehension of ruining me hath driven him to despair. I am very glad, says Honour, to hear your ladyship takes that into your consideration, for to be sure, it must be nothing less than ruin to give your mind to one that is turned out of doors and is not worth a farthing in the world. Turned out of doors? cries Sophia hastily. How? What dost thou mean? Why, to be sure, ma'am, my master no sooner told Squire Allworthy about Mr. Jones having offered to make love to your ladyship than the squire stripped him stark naked and turned him out of doors. Ha! Ah, says Sophia, I have been the cursed wretched cause of his destruction. Turned naked out of doors. Here, honour, take all the money I have. Take the rings from my fingers. Here, my watch. Carry him all. Go, find him immediately. For heaven's sake, ma'am, answered Mrs. Honour. Do but consider if my master should miss any of these things. I should be made to answer for them. Therefore, let me beg your ladyship not to part with your watch and jewels. Besides, the money, I think, is enough of all conscience. And as for that, my master can never know anything of the matter. Here, then, cries Sophia, take every farthing I am worth, find him out immediately, and give it to him. Go, go, lose not a moment. Mrs. Honour departed according to orders, and finding Black George below stairs, delivered him the purse, which contained sixteen guineas, being indeed the whole stock of Sophia, for though her father was very liberal to her, she was much too generous to be rich. Black George, having received the purse, set forward towards the alehouse, but in the way a thought occurred to him, whether he should not detain this money likewise. His conscience, however, immediately started at this suggestion, and began to upbraid him with ingratitude to his benefactor. To this his avarice answered, that his conscience should have considered the matter before, when he deprived poor Jones of his five hundred pounds, that having quietly acquiesced in what was of so much greater importance, it was absurd, if not downright hypocrisy, to affect any qualms at this trifle. In return to which conscience, like a good lawyer, 
attempted to distinguish between an absolute breach of trust, as here, where the goods were delivered, and a bare concealment of what was found, as in the former case. Avarice presently treated this with ridicule, called it a distinction without a difference, and absolutely insisted that when once all pretensions of honour and virtue were given up in any one instance, that there was no precedent for resorting to them upon a second occasion. In short, poor conscience had certainly been defeated in the argument, had not fear stepped in to her assistance, and very strenuously urged that the real distinction between the two actions did not lie in the different degrees of honour, but of safety, for that the secreting the five hundred pounds was a matter of very little hazard, whereas the detaining the sixteen guineas was liable to the utmost danger of discovery. By this friendly aid of fear, conscience obtained a complete victory in the mind of Black George, and after making him a few compliments on his honesty, forced him to deliver the money to Jones. Chapter 14 A short chapter containing a short dialogue between Squire Western and his sister. Mrs. Weston had been engaged abroad all that day. The squire met her at her return home, and when she inquired after Sophia, he acquainted her that he had secured her safe enough. "'She's locked up in chamber,' cries he, "'and honour keeps the key.' As his looks were full of prodigious wisdom and sagacity when he gave his sister this information, it is probable he expected much applause from her for what he had done. But how was he disappointed when, with a most disdainful aspect, she cried, Sure, brother, you are the weakest of all men. Why will you not confide in me for the management of my niece? Why will you interpose? You have now undone all that I have been spending my breath in order to bring about. While I have been endeavouring to fill her mind with maxims of prudence, you have been provoking her to reject them. English women, brother, I thank heaven, are no slaves. We are not to be locked up like the Spanish and Italian wives. We have as good a right to liberty as yourselves. We are to be convinced by reason and persuasion only, and not governed by force. I have seen the world, brother, and know what arguments to make use of, and if your folly had not prevented me, should have prevailed with her to form her conduct by those rules of prudence and discretion which I formerly taught her. To be sure, said the squire, I am always in the wrong. Brother, answered the lady, you are not in the wrong, unless when you meddle with matters beyond your knowledge. You must agree that I have seen most of the world, and happy had it been for my niece if she had not been taken from under my care. It is by living at home with you that she has learnt romantic notions of love and nonsense. You don't imagine, I hope, cries the squire, that I have taught her any such things. Your ignorance, brother, returned she, as the great Milton says, almost subdues my patience. 
Footnote. The reader may perhaps subdue his own patience if he searches for this in Milton. Damn Milton, answered the squire. If he had the impudence to say so to my face, I'd lend him a douse. Oh, he was ever so great a man. Patience, and come to that, sister, I have more occasion of patience to be used like an overgrown schoolboy as I am by you. Do you think no one hath any understanding unless he hath been about at court? Pox! The world is come to a fine pass indeed, if we're all fools except a parcel of roundheads and Hanover rats. Pox! I hope the times are a-coming, when we shall make fools of them, and every man shall enjoy his own. That's all, sister, and every man shall enjoy his own. I hope to see it, sister, before the Hanover rats have eat up all our corn, and left us nothing but turnips to feed upon. I protest, brother, cries she, you are now got beyond my understanding. Your jargon of turnip and Hanover rats is to me perfectly unintelligible. I believe, cries he, you don't care to hear of them, but the country interest may succeed one day or other for all that. I wish, answered the lady, you would think a little of your daughter's interest, for believe me she is in greater danger than the nation. Just now, said he, you chid me for thinking on her and would have her left to you. And if you will promise to interpose no more, answered she, I will, out of my regard to my niece, undertake the charge. Well, do then, said the squire, for you know I always agreed that women are the properest to manage women. Mrs. Weston then departed, muttering something with an air of disdain concerning women and management of the nation. She immediately repaired to Sophia's apartment, who was now, after a day's confinement, released again from her captivity. End of section 22